longer, please do so. If not, no, no trouble. We're going to read the first 17 verses of John chapter 13. So John 13, 1 through 17. And we, we will begin now this summer project or making our way through chapters 13 through 17 of John's gospel. Included in that is our summer scripture memory verse, and uh, that's uh, uh, available for you. It's in an insert. Actually, if you want to take that home in your bulletin, John 15, verses 1 through 11. So let's, let's try to put that in our hearts and minds this summer as we make our way through this unit of scripture. These are God's words for us this morning, beautiful words. And, uh, and here's what God says. Well, I was in Luke 13. Okay, now I'm in John 13. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper... When the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he uh, had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel He tied it around his waist. Then he began to pour water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He he came uh, to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you want to wash my feet? Jesus answered him, "What, What I am doing, you do not understand now. But afterwards, you will understand. Peter said to him, you will never wash. Uh, you shall never wash my feet, Jesus. Uh, but Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. And that is why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet, put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done? You you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right. For so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, 
A servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. You may be seated. Father, thank you for your word. There, there, there is no word like your word. And so our prayer is that you would be present with us by your spirit to give us eyes, to give us understanding, to literally change us in light of this word. For we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. We are on the eve here in this passage of Jesus' arrest and crucifixion. The next day he will, he will be dead and buried. And yet he spends these last hours apart from everybody else, but just with his closest disciples in a very personal and in a very vital and in a very important conversation to prepare his disciples. He will soon be departing. In fact, even the whole flow of John's gospel, chapters 1 through 12, a a, a reoccurring theme in John 1 through 12 is Jesus saying, I have come from my Father. And and, and now a reoccurring theme in, in the rest of this book, particularly chapters 13 through 17 that we'll look at this summer is, I am going back to my Father. And yet, as he leaves them, he wants them to grasp, among other things, that they will not be abandoned. And so he instructs them. He instructs them, even as we've already read here, in ways that they don't even yet fully grasp what he is saying to them. And here in this first movement of instruction, it's... It certainly contains words of instruction, but this first uh, form of instruction is through demonstration. He is demonstrating something to them. And what he is demonstrating to them uh, could be explained there in verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father... Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. What he's about to demonstrate is to give them a picture to hang on to, to remember of the depth, the extent, the full extent of his love for them. In fact, I would suggest that this whole unit, 13 through 17, and particularly all the rest of chapter 13, uh, is love is perhaps the controlling motive of all that is said and done. I'll remind you of that even next week, Lord, when, when we get to the end of chapter 13, where Jesus says to them, love one another as I have loved you. So he starts and finishes this chapter with notes of his love for them and yet, and yet also the, the call upon them to, to reflect that love for each other. And that's really the two points I want us to think about this morning. In verses 1 through 11, receiving a love that serves. 
And then in 12 through 17, reflecting a love that serves. So let's quickly make our way through this. I, I won't be able to track down every nook and cranny of, of what, what I've just read, but there's a couple of things in particular that I think would be most helpful for us to focus on. And the first thing I want to focus on in verses 1 through 11, pertaining to how you and I this morning are here, that we might experience or receive a love that serves, is I, I, I want us to see um, the depth of Jesus' love for his people. It says there, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now, loved them to the end of his life or loved them to the utmost, uh, 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 the full extent by which he could love them. And I would just say, John does this a lot. He, he, he says terms in ways that could be almost kind of a a, a double meaning. He certainly will love them to the end of his life. He will, he will go this next day and sacrifice his life on the cross for them. But, but, but so it's certainly objectively referring to the, 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 his whole life was a demonstration of loving service for his people. But, 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 but I think it also ricochets in more of a subjective way, and that is that, 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 that he wants them to grasp how deeply, how much, the full extent to which they are loved by him and by his Father. In fact, I'll spend a bit more time on this first movement about how you and I are here this morning that we might grasp and receive a love that serves because there's a sense in which the second point, while it's not unimportant, uh, it, 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 we, we will never we will never get our mind around the second point until, until this first point. The reality, the truth, the beauty of this first point settles more deeply into our hearts. Everything that Jesus has ever said and done has certainly been to the glory of his Father, but it's been to the full extent of his loving service to his people. Do, do, do you realize that, that if you are the recipient of Jesus' love, that, that, that there is nothing that can disengage that? There is nothing that can separate that. There is nothing that can disturb that. Do, do you realize how, 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 what a precious gift it is to have a settled confidence? A sure comfort, a serious assurance that we are loved by the Lord. And even this act of washing the, the feet of, of these disciples is, is meant to be a, a symbolic episode of what has gone on before in Jesus' life, but in particular what will occur the immediate next thing in Jesus' life, that his sacrifice on the cross is the ultimate, the, the truest, the deepest demonstration that he has loved, that they are loved by the Lord, that we are loved by the Lord. And yet, I don't think they fully understand that yet. I don't, I, don't, I don't know that you and I, not to offend any of us, I mean, we all look like fairly smart people, but, but I don't know that you and I fully grasp and understand. And, that, and that's typical. Peter doesn't understand what's going on here. 
And even when Jesus says, uh, just go ahead and let me do this, you'll understand it later. Peter still wants to kick up a fuss and, and debate with the Lord about, about the propriety of what he's doing. There's a sense in which I am absolutely obligated to open God's word and to remind us of Christ's love for us. There's another sense in which that is totally not enough. And that's okay. It's not enough because it's one thing for me to tell you. That's a good thing to tell you that you are loved. It's a whole other thing for the Spirit of Christ to settle on your hearts and to speak to your soul an assurance, a comfort, a confidence. I'm talking about you. Jesus loves you. Jesus died not just generically, he died for you. Jesus took sins, not just generally, Jesus took your sins. The Spirit of God is at work doing that, providing that assurance, that comfort, that, that confidence. And it's out of that that if we ever will reflect anything of this kind of love toward each other, it, 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 it has to start there where that settles upon our hearts. I think the other thing we miss here is that Have you, ever, have you ever justified your honoriness because of your situation? I mean, look, if you all treat me just perfectly right, there's a better chance that I have of behaving right. But when you all misbehave toward me, I'm more prone to misbehave right back at you. And to blame you for my misbehavior. I, I, and that's since I just absolved myself of all moral agency. Do you understand? What's, does Jesus have a lot on his plate right now at this moment? What, what's, what's his situation? He, he, he knows what is unfolding before his eyes. He knows that even one of his closest followers has has worked up a betrayal. Situationally, it's crazy. And you know what? When the situation gets crazy in your life and my life, it just seems like it's more justified to give way to temptation and to sin. And yet... He loved them to the end. He loves you to the end. The situation is not controlling Jesus' attitude of love. Jesus' attitude of love is, in fact, controlling the situation. Now, certainly there's a message in here for me and for you. Well, we better try harder and do that as well. But that totally misses the point at this moment. Do you realize that there is no situation that can alter God's love set eternally on his people? 
And that assurance, that comfort, that, that confidence is in fact meant to alter our lives. We can look at a lot of things differently. The second thing I want to mention just briefly in this first movement is the thing that's said in verse 2. I know if you're doing the math, you're thinking this is going to be forever. But I'm going to go quicker after verse 2. During the supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Verse 3 in particular. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands, and that he had come, that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, taking a towel, and tied it around his waist. He poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. Uh, just a little sidebar. I, I know that there's not an R in the word W-A-S-H. But I was raised to put an R in there. So if, if I, I know that might distract you, but I still think that the former name of Interstate 64 uh, has an A-R in it. Uh, so anyway, you'll get it later. But... Um, so I just, just forgive me if I put an R in W-A-S-H. Um, I just don't know any better. Um, but do you see what, what, what's going on here? The Father had given all things into the hands of Jesus. In a word, here's what we're talking about. Power. Authority. We are about to witness from this passage of Scripture the sheer beauty of power and authority. That, that, that's hard for me to get my mind around because, because if you're like me, I am suspicious of power. I am cynical about power. I'm leery of power. The latter half of the 19th century, a a member of the British Parliament, his name was Lord Acton. He's the one who made the famous line. maybe, Maybe you've heard this before, you just didn't know it came from Lord Acton, but this is his most famous line. Power corrupts. And absolute power corrupts absolutely. Now, I, I, I kind of agree with that. And yet, on the other hand, it, 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 it's, it's also missing something. Because here we are seeing power in the hands of Jesus. And we are seeing how In fact, lovely and wonderful and majestic and beautiful power is when it's deployed for the purposes of loving care and helpful service to others. You see, the real real problem is not power itself. The real problem is the heart of man that perverts power, 
that, that sees power as a luscious thing that is to be wielded for personal and selfish means. That's why you and I are cynical about power, and yet we've got to locate the real problem. The problem is not this thing called power. We just sing all honor and blessing and glory and power belong to him. And and that should make our hearts happy. Because it's in his hands. Like, whew, if it's in his hands and he loves us, it's okay. Here is, in this passage, here is what power looks like in the hands of a loving heart. And what does it look like? On the one hand, Jesus is not engaged in some sort of uh, elite religious custom at this moment. He is simply performing a customary, menial, practical task. When you live on dusty streets and you wear sandals, your feet get dirty. And you need someone to wash your feet. And in that day and age, whosever house you were going to, the host of that gathering, would have supplied for you uh, the lowliest, the low, the lowly, the low, the lowest of of servants or slaves who 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 would have been put to, not even not even an ordinary slave that, that would have been even beneath them in that culture. But you would you would pick the lowliest, lowly the lowest. I'm having trouble with that word, ain't I? Of servants, I still got wash on my brain. But you got the, the lowliest of servants would be would be assigned that duty. That's why, on the one hand, it's just such a mind blowing experience to Peter of what's going on here. You're doing what to me? Read a book this week uh, about Lance, uh, no, not Lance, uh, about Greg LeMond. He was uh, an American cyclist, uh, and as it turns out, the only cyclist to ever win the Tour de France legally. Uh, and, uh, but it reminds me of, of, uh, of something of cycling culture. Uh, in, a, in a cycling race, there's, there's one top dog on a team, and then the rest of the team are called domestiques which is a French word for servant. And, uh, and the whole purpose of the existence of the domestiques, the servants, is to cater to, to protect, to provide, to care for, to, to enable the victory of your team leader. Everything revolves around that team leader. And all the other guys are lessers. They're, they're servants who exist to serve the team leader it would be it would it would it would be so unthought of for the team leader to do anything in terms of service for the domestiques well that's why this is such a mind-blowing experience here is our lord as an act of menial customary 
practical service, caring for his disciples. Top dog, stooping to wash their feet. And when Peter objects and Jesus says, let me just go ahead and do this. Of course, it's a good thing I wasn't there because I would be like, as Jesus is washing his feet, I would have smacked him upside the head or flicked him or something. No, no, no don't do that. You know, but, um, but this is the show. And the next day will show even clearer. But this is to symbolize his loving service. That is the capstone of his entire life. The Son of Man, he's, Jesus himself said in John 10, 45, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, certainly we could, we could pervert this and distort this just like we could pervert and distort most anything, but do you realize that our Lord, our Master, our Teacher has come to serve the good of his people. Do you realize he has come to serve your good? Do you realize that we start this week with a Lord who says, what do you need? I love you. I got you. I am going to care for you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to provide for you. That We get to start this week from that starting point. I say we. If you've, never, if you've never responded to the Lord, seeing the depth of his love, his care, if you've never turned and trusted in him, then you are, you are outside of that description this morning. And my prayer, my hope is that you would see the loveliness of Christ, see your need for Christ, see the sin that separates you, and yet seeing how he has conquered that sin that separates you, and that you would turn and trust in Christ. And soak in his love. One more thing I want to say then. Not only are we to receive a love that serves, but we are to reflect a love that serves. And and really, I'll skip over to uh, verse 12. He says at the very end of verse 12, after he has washed their feet, he put his clothes back on, sat back down, and just says at the end of verse 12, Do you understand what I have done to you? Do you guys get this? And I'm sure they weren't like that. But but on the other hand, it was the answer the true answer was something like that. And so if verse 14, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Now John doesn't tell us this. But we have Luke's account of this same evening. And, I mean, you, you, can't, you can't fabricate this stuff, folks. Do you, do you want to know the conversation that the disciples were having at the table that night? Luke gives us a little, little glimpse into this. In Luke 22, verse 24... A dispute arose among them as to which one of them was to be regarded as the greatest. I mean, it's right, that right there. Jesus is in the room, and they're deciding which one of them is the greatest. <laughs> and he said to them, 
Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are, are, are called benefactors. But not so among you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and, and the leader as the one who serves. So what he's just done is played out what he's explaining right here. For who is the greater, the the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. Do you understand what I just did to you? There's a sense in which it's only as Jesus moves farther in this, the discussions of this evening when he would say in John fourteen twenty six about the Holy Spirit, he will bring to remembrance all that I have taught you. Or what he says in John sixteen thirteen about the Holy Spirit, he will guide you into all truth. The light bulb won't fully go off till later. And I say that to say, may the light bulb go off in my heart and in your heart and in our hearts this morning. That as sure as we are to rejoice and receive Christ's loving service, we are also called to reflect Christ's loving service. And as sure as we think, I got that, I got that. I'm not convinced I got that. In fact, I want, to, I want to acknowledge my lack of understanding of that. I, I, I have a long history of missing the point. And while they were sitting around discussing which one of them is going to be next in charge, the greatest, Jesus is trying to instruct them that the measure of greatness, the real purpose of power, is to serve. If you've ever thought about history, if you've ever thought about political science, then you know that the subject of power is, is absorbed in concepts of politics. And even today, our world is awash with political ideologies that, that are all trying to grasp their understanding of this thing called power. And we're not trying to be simpletons, but but we must be the people who, first of all, say that any political ideology that is apart from Christ, that is rooted in a, in a, in a, a viewpoint untethered from Christ, will get power wrong because they don't know what love consists of. Now, I'm not... I'm not, I'm not trying to be political. I know this is a, pol- a political year. I know there's a political turmoil floating around. Uh, but what I'm saying is this, is, and this is the, 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 most, the most radical political statement that I hope I ever make, and that is only Jesus 
is the one who is qualified to wield true power over this universe. Say, well, he ought to be in charge. What I want you to see through the eyes of Scripture is that, in fact, he is. When you and I confess Jesus as Lord, we ought to be making the strongest political statement of our lives. We are going all in on the fact that he has been ruling, he is ruling, but you ain't seen nothing yet. He will rule all things, and we will look to him, and we will wait for him, and we will, in the meantime, among other things, the very least of which we will pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we will be the people, we are called at least to be the people, that having been loved by the Lord, we will be the people who will reflect this new reality to the world around us. He closes with this in verse 17. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. You want to be happy this week? Sure, sign me up, I'll take two. Take whatever power you have, power as a dad, power as a husband, power as a mom, power as a parent, power as a boss, power as a whatever power you have this week. Take that power and let it be defined by love and look for a way to serve and give good care to someone else. Blessed are we when we know these things, but when we do these things. Not just when we know these things, but when we do these things. You are loved in Christ. You don't have to leave out of here empty. I got nothing to give. Oh, by the grace of God, we can leave out of here filled and full so that we can reflect loving service to others. Father, help us. Help us to live that and embody that in our lives. Father, fill our hearts with gratitude. And may you be honored and worshipped. Not just in what we've done during this hour, but now as we depart. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.